We're going to look at Luke as the, uh, the scripture that we read earlier, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through, 30, through 45. So if you'll open your Bibles to that point, that would be great. I'm not going to reread that section since it was read earlier. Instead, we're going to kind of work through it section by section. Before we do so, though, I want you to remember that last week we talked about hope and the idea that hope means, uh, it means expectation. It means that you eagerly expect something to happen. That we use the term hope in such a way that we think of hope as something that's unlikely to happen, but that's not at all the way the Scripture uses it. So when I say I am hoping in the return of Jesus Christ, it is not like me hoping to win the lottery. Which, by the way, I don't play, so there's not much hope of me winning anyway. But the point is that it's not like it's something that's not likely to happen, but that it is expected to happen, and therefore I have placed my trust in it. So as we talked about hope, we're rejoicing in hope, that we can rejoice because we have hope in the Gospel. Last week we talked about hope for the weary. That there's hope for those who see their desperate need for a Savior. That there's hope for the faithful. That there's hope for those who have been made righteous because of Jesus by faith in Christ. That there's hope for the prayerful. That there's hope for those who seek the Lord. And there's hope for the humble. Hope for those who humbly submit to God's plan. So today we continue with this theme of rejoicing in hope as we look at Luke chapter 1, 26-45. Look at uh, verses 26-27 through 27 with me first, and we'll jump right into the first point in our sermon outline. The first point is, hope is found in God's graciousness. Hope is found in God's graciousness. Look at 26 and 27. It says this, Now, in the sixth month, of the, angel Gab- the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now it's easy for us, especially because we're so far removed from the historical context in which this is written, it's easy for us to miss how dramatic these words are. How dramatic of an event this was. Don't miss what is said here in the text. It says, in the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's um, uh, being pregnant, that she's, she's been pregnant for six months, and this is Elizabeth, who many commentators have said is older than dirt, right? That she's too old to have a child, that God miraculously comes to Zechariah and says, your wife is going to have a child, this child is going to be, he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, he's going to be a forerunner for the coming Messiah. In the sixth month, Of this, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And this is the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel who, as we read last week, stands in the presence of God. One of only two angels actually mentioned by name in Scripture. right? This is the angel who had the distinct privilege of announcing the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. He announced the coming of the birth of John the Baptist. And now he announces the birth of Jesus. And if that doesn't communicate the significance of this message, of these verses, look at who sent this angel Gabriel. It says, Gabriel was sent from God. God sends the the angel Gabriel to deliver this message. And where does He send him? He sends him to a city in Galilee. Not the temple, or even Jerusalem, but a region of northern Israel that had a mixed population, consisting of both Jews and people from other nations. That it's a a part of Israel that was not purely Jewish. That it was not a part of Israel that was well thought of. 
It really wasn't anything. It's a region in Israel known as Galilee. And where in Galilee? He sends him to a city called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is not what we would call a city. Um, instead, it was a small town. Uh, the word city in Greek really refers to just a place where there's a population. So we think of city, we think of Chicago, or New York, or Los Angeles, or Boston even, but that's not at all what was being spoken of here. Instead, it's more like South Thomaston. It's a little, small, out-of-the-way town. So small that, in fact, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament or in the writings of the historian Josephus. It's just not really well thought of. And who does he send this angel to? To a virgin named Mary. He doesn't send the angel, God doesn't send the angel to, uh, to the Roman leaders or to the high priest or anyone of uh, what would seem to be of significance, but to a woman and to a virgin. One who is not even married. A young girl. Not someone mighty or great by worldly standards. And what does this angel say? We'll look at verses 28-30. through 30. Verses 28-30. through 30. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now when we read this in English, we might be mistaken. We might think that Gabriel was saying that there's something special about Mary. Something within her that merited God's favor. However, if we think this, we've completely misunderstood what Gabriel was saying. The favor that was given to Mary was unmerited favor. Mary is being shown grace. Mary is a recipient of grace. In fact, we see this very clearly in verse 30 when Gabriel says, you have found favor with God. The Greek word for favor there is most often translated grace in the New Testament. Therefore, we should not understand the angel as saying, do not be afraid, Mary. For God's really impressed with you. And you know, don't be afraid, Mary, because God knows how great of a person you are. Instead, the angel is saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace. You found unmerited favor with God. And to view Mary as anything other than a sinner in need of a Savior is completely wrong. As we read in Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says this, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Zero. Not a righteous man on earth who never sins. And Romans 3, verses 10-12. through As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. I don't know how the Scripture could be any more clear. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. And yet, there are some who lift up Mary as though she's something special. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, diminish her role in what we're reading here. And her role in carrying the, the Savior of the world. However, the angel comes and says, God's grace has been with you. Mary was a sinner who needed grace just like the rest of us. So when the angel Gabriel says, do not fear Mary, for God's favor is upon you, we should not give Mary the glory 
as though she was deserving. Instead, we should give God the glory for bestowing His grace. You see, Mary understood this. That's why in, later on, in a couple of weeks, we'll see in Luke 1.47, she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary understands that she is a sinner who needs a Savior. And who does she glorify? Not herself, but God. So having seen point number one, hope is found in God's graciousness. Not our righteousness. Hope is found in God's graciousness. We move on to the second point in our sermon outline. Number two, hope is found in God's promises. Hope is found in God's promises. Look at verses 31 through 33 with me. 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. I want to break this down a little bit and take each of these statements in pieces. First, let's consider the statement. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. This is a fulfillment of what was promised in Isaiah 7.14. In Isaiah 7.14 we read, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. God with us is what that means. That in Isaiah 7.14, God promised that a virgin would give birth to a child, and that child's name would be God with us. That the Savior would come through the virgin birth. Second, we read, you shall name Him Jesus. So not only is the promise given, you will, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, but also you shall name Him Jesus. This is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, as we often uh, translate it in English, which means Yahweh saves. This is more clearly seen in Matthew one twenty one when the angel says to Joseph, She, Mary, speaking of Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, even his name points to the fact that he was and is the promised Savior. This promise of a Savior is spoken of throughout the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament. In one such place we see this is in Isaiah 53, verses 4-6. through six. In Isaiah 53 we read this, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed." All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have sinned. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin, of us all to fall on Him. You see, Isaiah 53 clearly presents Jesus as the One through whom Yahweh would bring salvation to His people. This coming Messiah would be the One who would bring salvation to the people. Hence the name Yahweh saves, or Jesus. Thirdly, the angel says, He will be great in verse 32. He will be great. This is a fulfillment of the promise in Isaiah 42, at least in part, and Isaiah 11. 
In Isaiah 42, verse 1, we read, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. This is not just great in the sight of men. This is great above all greatness. This is the one in whom God says, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5, we hear about this great coming Messiah. It says this Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be, about, will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. This speaks of a coming Messiah who is great. Greater than any man could ever be. So don't miss when the angel Gabriel says, He will be great, man that He's speaking of the greatness of the coming Messiah. He's proclaiming the fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. Fourthly, He says, He'll be called the Son of the Most High. We see that in verse 32. Again, another promise God promised in Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. That the Old Testament speaks of this coming Messiah as being the Son of God. The Son of the Most High. Fifthly, the angel says the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. As God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7.16, He said, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before Me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And Jeremiah 23.5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice in the land. That this coming Messiah was to be one who was a descendant of David. That he was going to assume the throne of David and reign. And then sixthly, the angel says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Again, another Old Testament promise fulfilled. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like, the son of, like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations of men, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. God promised that this king would reign forever. And finally, the angel says to Mary, His kingdom will have no end. His kingdom will have no end. 
Not only will His kingdom reign forever over the house of Jacob, but it will extend beyond the nation of Israel. Beyond the people who are God's chosen people, the Jews, but all of God's people, including those who are grafted in. Isaiah 9, verses 6-7 through tells us, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders, and His name will be called Mighty, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That His kingdom will extend not only on forever, but also to all peoples forevermore. So the angel comes to Mary and he says, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. And that's, that's the fulfillment of a, of a promise. She understood it as such, I'm sure. You, will, you shall name Him Jesus. That He's going to be one who will save. You shall name Him Yahweh saves. That He will be great. The greatest of all the people. That He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord's going to give Him the throne of His father, David that He's going to be the King who will assume that place on David's throne. That He's going to be the one whom was promised to David that would reign forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And His kingdom will have no end. It will extend to all people forever. You see, the hope that is found in these promises is not just hope for Mary alone. And sometimes I think we read this and we think, wow, Mary must have been really encouraged. An angel came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. That's not all that the angel came and said to her. The angel said, remember all of this, that we've, all of the Old Testament promises? This is going to be fulfilled in you, Mary. So Mary would have been greatly encouraged by these promises, but we too should be greatly encouraged by these promises because they're for us too. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises for a coming Savior, a coming Messiah. One who would rescue God's people from the curse of sin and death. So having seen, number one, that hope is found in God's graciousness, that Mary was not righteous, that there's nothing unique or special about Mary, and that she was not without sin, as some would say, but that she was a sinner in need of Favor in need of grace. Hope is found not in our righteousness, but in God's graciousness. And hope is found, number two, in God's promises that God makes these promises of a coming Savior who would save His people. Hope is found in that. Now let's consider the third and final point in our sermon outline. Number three, hope is found in God's faithfulness. Hope is found in God's graciousness. Hope is found in God's promises. And number three, hope is found in God's faithfulness. Look at verses 34 through 38 with me. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived also a son in her old age. And she, has called, she, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. You see, God is faithful to His promises because He's sovereign. Here's what I mean by that. God has the authority and the power to do as He wishes. He has the authority to do what He wills, and He has the the power to do what He wills. Otherwise, He would not be God. God's faithful to His promises because He's sovereign. God's not in heaven, wringing His hands going, oh, they messed it up now. Now what am I going to do to bring about the end of redemptive human history? How am I going to save the people? They just keep messing things up. Instead, He's working to accomplish His plan. That's why He can say things like, why Jesus can say things like, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against it. He's sovereign. He has the authority and the power to do as He wishes. So when Mary asks, she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? By the way, I want to explain this question, right? Because her question sounds a lot like Zacharias' question from last week. When Zacharias said in, in Luke 1.18, he said, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is even older than that. She's advanced in years. How can I know this for certain that this is going to happen? We know from Gabriel's response that Zacharias doubted. We know from Zacharias' response, he says, you should have believed my words. Because you did not believe my words, this is going to happen to you. We don't see that with Mary. Instead, Mary seems to have faith to believe, but not the comprehension to understand how it's going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with coming before God and saying, God, I believe, but I don't understand. And I'll tell you, in some of the darkest moments of my life, it is, it's like that that I speak to God. That I say, God, I know Your Word is true. I know that it says that You're working all things together for good for those who love You, for those who are called according to Your purpose. But I don't understand how this is doing that. Help me to see it. And Mary says, how can this be? I, I believe it, but how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel makes it clear that God will accomplish His will. He reminds Mary, he says, God will accomplish His will no matter how improbable or impossible it may seem to man. And then He tells her how. The angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God will make it happen. That the power of the Holy Spirit will cause this to happen. He tells her that God is going to miraculously cause her to be pregnant. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the importance of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is extremely important to our Christian understanding of the Scriptures. That when we deny the virgin birth, we deny Scripture. But that's not the point of this message. And I don't want to get sidetracked in talking all about that, but I do want to say that it is important that we believe what the Scripture says. That Mary was not impregnated by Joseph, that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and you will give birth to God's Son. That there is a miraculous happening in Mary's life. And then, the angel explains, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, the Most High will overshadow you, and as evidence of God's ability to bring this about, the angel says, Look at your relative Elizabeth. He says, this is what's going to happen. Look, your your relative Elizabeth, she's conceived 
a son in her old age. God is able to do what He sets out to do. She who was barren is now in her sixth month. The angel tells Mary. Why? He says, this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because he just says it so clearly, so plainly, for nothing will be impossible with God. And look at Mary's response. Mary's response, and we see the faith of Mary in this. She says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Can you imagine? God comes to you and says, This miracle is going to happen. The Messiah is going to be born through you. A, a teenage, young girl in the middle of nowhere. All of redemptive, redemptive human history is going to look back on this moment and the Holy Spirit is going to cause you to be pregnant when you're not even, you've never had relations with a man. You're not married. Because everything's, everything's possible with God. And she doesn't say, yeah, right. Right? And sometimes that's where I am in my faith, I'll tell you. I know all things are possible with God. I know that nothing is impossible with God. But I don't functionally act that way. I don't live that way. And what is Mary's response? Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Do with me as you will. She says, may it be done to me according to your word. See, Mary understood the truth of Numbers 23.19. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? That when the Lord speaks and says, I have promised this to come about, that it will happen. That's why I constantly try to remind us of Ephesians 3 that says that He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Because nothing's impossible with God. And when He promises something, He is faithful to bring it about. To bring it through to completion. Mary knew that God was faithful to His Word. And that He had both the authority and the power to act in accordance with His will. So in review, as we review these three points, I want you to remember, number one, hope is found in God's graciousness. And not in our righteousness, just like Mary, we, become, we come before God as a sinner in need of grace. And hope is found not in our somehow cleaning ourselves up or pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, but instead in God's grace that He just lavishes upon us. Number two, hope is found in God's promises. God promises in His Word that He will rescue us from sin, that He will send a Savior. And He has sent a Savior, Jesus Christ. And He promises that He's returning. And there's innumerable promises in Scripture, and we can claim those promises, and hope is found in those promises. This confident, eager expectation is found in those promises of Scripture. Because we don't hope in them like we hope that I will win the lottery or, or get a motorcycle, but we hope in them knowing that they will come about to pass because, number three, God is faithful. Hope is found in God's faithfulness. So hope is found in God's graciousness, in His promises, and in His faithfulness. So the question is this. How do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this and apply it to our lives? Well, first of all, I want to speak to you if 
you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not sure that you're a, you're a follower of Christ, if you do not, you cannot say with certainty that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, that you walk with Him, that He guides you, that He directs you day by day, then I would encourage you to place your hope, your confident expectation in these things, in God's graciousness. That there's no way for you to make yourself come before God and be worthy of His favor. That it is unmerited favor. It doesn't matter whether you teach Sunday school, whether you come to church, whether you preach a message, that those things do not merit God's favor. That instead, Scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one, not even Mary, who gave birth to the Savior. It was only by God's grace that she was chosen in that way. So place your hope in God's graciousness, not in yourself. Place your hope in God's promises. There's many promises in Scripture. Namely, that if you call upon the, Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that's the one I want you to remember today. That as you trust in God's graciousness, that you also trust and you lean on His promises that He can save you from sin, from death. See, Scripture teaches plainly that all of us, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God is faithful to make that happen. That if you're sitting here today and you call out to God, you cry out to God, that He will begin in you a good work and He will carry it through to completion. But you have to lay aside your own righteousness in order to claim His promises, in order to receive His grace, in order to see His faithfulness realized in your life. So that's if you're not a follower of Jesus. I encourage you. It's not about, as I say so many times, it's not about raising your hand or walking an aisle or saying a prayer. Those things may be indications of a life committed to Christ, but they're not in and of themselves a life committed to Christ. That instead, if you, if you are not sure, I would encourage you to come talk to me, to talk to Bill, to talk to Mark after the service about what that means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a Christian? Today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. But for most of us, many of us here, we are followers of Christ. That's why we're here on Sunday morning. We're here because we want to follow Jesus. We worship Jesus. We want want to know Him better. We want to grow in Him. So my encouragement to you is much the same. Continue to place your hope in these things. Continue to place your hope in God's graciousness. I think sometimes we, we become a follower of Jesus. We know that we're saved by grace, but then we think we grow in our own strength. We think that somehow, now what I need to do is I need to not, I need to not swear, I need to not smoke, I need to not drink, I need to, whatever these things are, that we need to now somehow get rid of in our lives so that we can now become right with God. That God instead, what Scripture teaches is that God's grace makes us right, that God makes us right by His grace, and in light of that, our lives are cleaned up by His grace. That as I mentioned earlier, that He who began a good work will carry you through, will carry it through to completion. That we need to place our hope not in ourselves, not in our ability to live a clean life, 
but in the God who is gracious. And I'll tell you, the, the times in my life when I'm most stagnant are when I think I'm doing a good job. When I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I've been a deacon in the church. I've been an elder in the church. Uh, I went to Bible college. I, I'm a pastor. I preach on Sunday. It's those times when my life can quickly become stagnant. But it's when I see myself, see myself as a dirty, rotten sinner. When I see myself as one who needs grace, that I begin to grow. Because I'm not hoping in my own righteousness, I'm hoping in God's graciousness. In the same way, I encourage you to lean on God's promises. That God has promised that He will grow you. That God has promised that He will use you to reach the lost as you proclaim the Gospel. That God has promised that He will send His Son, Jesus Christ, to return to reign and rule in righteousness. So, hope in those promises. Not in the things of this world. It's very easy to begin to hope in our checkbook, to hope in our job, to hope in our security, thinking that those things, our worldly security, is somehow going to give us hope. But our confident expectation must be in what God has promised. And it's when we believe that that we can pray things like, Lord, bring whatever you need into my life to make me more like Jesus. Bring cancer. Bring job loss. Bring the loss of family members. Bring whatever you need to bring to make me more like Jesus. Because I'm not counting on those things. That's not where my hope is. That's where, not where my confident expectation is. My confident expectation is that you have made promises in your Word and you are faithful to bring them about. So today, if you're a believer, I encourage you, place your hope in God's graciousness. Place your hope in God's promises. And place your hope in God's faithfulness. Eagerly awaiting His return. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. God, I just pray that You'd be with us. God, that You would encourage us in You. Should help us to never lose sight of the gospel. God, it is only by your grace that we are saved. I thank you for the promise of that salvation, that realization of that salvation, that God, when we leave this earth, that we will spend eternity with you in heaven because of your Son, Jesus. And God, that you are faithful. God, that if we lay aside our righteousness, look to You and Your graciousness. And we trust, we lean on, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Not our own work, but His work on the cross. God, that we can be saved. And I thank You for Your faithfulness that You will carry us through to completion, that You will grow us and mold us and make us each and every day more like Your Son Jesus as we seek Him. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.